Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. As always, it's Ian Mendes. Down goes Brown. Sean McAdoo with you in these seats on the Thursday. Coming up, as always, we're going to have Jesse Granger for Granger Things. Uh, and boy, we got to talk about the, the Golden Knights as they continue to be on the playoff bubble. So Jesse Granger will stop by, as always. The Buffalo Sabres, well, they weren't even on the playoff bubble. A, an NHL record 11th consecutive season that Buffalo has been eliminated from the playoffs. We're going to talk about some of that. Uh, we're seeing the return of Tiger Woods at the Masters. So I want to put a little hockey spin on this and talk about uh, miraculous returns from injuries in the hockey world. i got a bunch of mailbag questions, some goalie-related on this date in NHL history. we got a lot to get to, but Sean, I want to start this piece, or th- this piece, this pod, by talking about your piece because it felt like all you wanted to do this week was cram some Joe Juno content down our down our throats. Yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable uh, that's a reasonable way to look at it. It was uh, look, I I am a big believer in personal responsibility, and I feel personally responsible for the fact that one of my very favorite obscure NHL records was broken in the last week, uh, and that was Joey Juno holding the. Uh, all-time record for assists in a season by a left winger. Uh, and I'm willing to bet that if you aren't somebody who reads my stuff regularly, where I've mentioned this a few times over the years, uh, unless you were a fan of the 92-93 Bruins, you probably had no idea that it was Joey Juno who held that that record. Uh, you probably never even thought about the record for assists by a left winger, but it was a great record because it was such a low number uh, compared to, you know, I mean, I think it's, it, it wasn't even in the top 50 for all time single season assist totals, but because left wing is just a weird position, he held the record for years and years and years. And unfortunately, I got a little too excited. I banged the drum a little too loudly <laughs> uh, at, at the beginning of the year, mentioning that, uh, you know, with all the left wingers in the league, 
not just uh, Jonathan Huberto, but uh, Brad Marchand and Artemi Panarin and all these guys, somebody was going to break it this year. And sure enough, it happened. And I felt personally responsible. So I wrote this piece, uh, getting into into the record books. And look, I I, uh, I, I don't want to give away the twist ending, um, but I, I feel like I've I feel like I've made things right with Joey Juno, and uh, I hope we're okay going forward. Yeah, all we'll say is that this column was bookended by Joe Juno. Yeah. Right? That's that's. Fair I think to it's say. fair and, to say. Yeah, yeah. And I think I it's fair it. to say that if you're reading the beginning of the column, going, "What the hell does this guy keep talking about Joey Juno?" It's <laughs> yeah. it's gonna pay off. Trust me. It's, it's foreshadowing. Um, um, oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Chekhov's left winger is uh, being yeah. introduced early on. Yeah, and uh, don't don't worry. It'll It'll all make sense by the end. Okay, so I want to throw a potential column idea. I think one of the things we got to do a little more on this podcast is kind of come up with some ideas for your po- for your Absolutely. column because okay because you always have fun, unique, and and borderline wacky, but but the, it's fun and they're they're different ideas. So I know that you've done a column recently. Was the hey? It's the team. Uh, guys who have been traded once against guys mm-hmm. who've been traded twice. Okay. Yep. So have you ever done this one? And I, I guess maybe you only would do it with active players, but have you ever done what a team of players who have never won a playoff round, how would they stack up against a team of guys who have only in their career won one playoff round? Or what about a team of guys who only got to the conference final and then a team of guys that got to the cup, but never won it? Like who? Like, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Is that is that too weird? Is it like? Yeah. Not no. Weird that, enough? That, that could be. Uh, well, we'd I'd, I'd make it weird. I mean, people. Yeah. I, I I throw a bunch of like unnecessary rules to complicate it into it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would be that would be an interesting one, and you know how. Uh, I I think you'd have to put probably some limit on how long a guy had been in the league. I mean, we don't want uh, you know, guys who who. You know who are rookies and putting them on team never won around, but maybe you do. I mean, I I feel like I'm being set up here because I'm guessing team never won around just ends up being the Toronto Maple Leafs, yeah. and that's you know you're. Uh, I mean, this is well. I, hey, we've maybe this is the way we bring Senators and Leafs fans together for the first time. We get them in, get, throw in a couple of Sabers. We're all good. You know what? I'm. I, I like this idea. It's around playoff time. I'm going to get that out there. It yeah. feels like a first round. Exactly. This in is between my... games three and four. Yes. This was I'm my gonna... point. Yeah. I was looking to create some playoff content for you. So, I mean, uh, but I, but now here's my question. Do you, I don't think you can do, I think you may only have to do active players, right? Because, and the only reason why I say this is what would team never want a playoff round look like if you're do, like, how many like really good players in their entire career, never, or, or maybe, let me spin it this way. Who's the best player that never won a playoff round in his career? See, I can't imagine I can't. that there are guys who had great careers that never won a round. Because remember, if we're talking about guys whose careers are done and, and, were, and have been done long enough that we're putting them in context, you're talking about guys who played in the era where, with many fewer teams. You know, we have never... Uh, been in a situation in the NHL like we are this year where half the teams don't make the playoffs uh, and right. and three quarters of the league doesn't even go to the second round versus, uh, you know, when uh, used to, even in the original six era, you had four out of six teams making it. And the era that you and I grew up in, 21 teams, 16 of them going to the playoffs every year, it, it was 
it was very rare for any team to miss the playoffs more than a couple of years. So I, I can't imagine that there were too many players out there who never so much as won around in a you know, 10 or 12 or 15 year career. There might be some guys, but I don't think there'd be all that many. I think it'd be mostly active guys and guys, you know, guys from this era where, you know, again, it's, it's much harder uh, to win around just, just in terms of the number of teams and, and how the odds are playing against you. Okay. So I, 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 as you were speaking, I came up with the guy who might be the best player to never win a playoff round. You yep. ready? Yep. Ole Jokinen. That's a good one. Wow. Okay. Yes. So o- Ole yep. Jokinen, 1,200 career games, 750 points, and one trip to the playoffs with Calgary mm-hmm. um, that ended in, looks like it looks like in six games. So uh, unless, unless the Flames won around and he got hurt, no, it doesn't look like it. Like, so. There you go. Yep. They lost in six I games. I think that's to the one because I I remember, you know, I've I've a couple of times talked about the the record for most career games without playing in the playoffs, which is one of those. It, it, that's a fun record because you can you can have that record more than once. Like it's it's one of the few records that somebody can break and then lose. So you know, there's uh, and, I, and off the top of my head, I don't actually remember who holds it, but I know. Ole Okunin was held it at one point. I think Jay Bomeister had it at one point. Right. Uh, and uh, it, But then both those guys get into the playoffs, and then it goes back to uh, uh, like Greg Jolie or whoever it is that uh, <laughs> that actually has the record, and uh, which has always got to be fun. You know, you get that phone call. Hey, man, saw you set an NHL record today. And you're like, dude, I'm 57. <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah. I'm, I'm tired yeah. of having this record yeah. over and over again. I'd like somebody yeah. to take it from me. But uh, yeah, no, you know what? Ole Okunin, that's a great... That's a great call. He's just never in the right place uh, to to be on a playoff team. And uh, you're right. I think he got in finally at the end of his career, but just just for the one series. Yeah. You know what? So listen, if if you need some help with uh, researching that that who's won whatever, this is again we're putting out the call for the Down Goes Brown internship program. I, I mean, I really feel like we should slowly over time shift this podcast <laughs> to the point where it's just you coming up with ideas. And the listeners doing the research, and then uh, maybe right. we get an intern to write it. We slap my name on it, and I'm I'm done. Uh, yeah. This is this will be I'll be like one of those old comic strip guys who doesn't actually draw anymore. You just put his name on it. You're and, like, uh, and yeah. I'm good to go. Yeah, you're like Krusty the Clown. You just rolling in yes. and signing off on a bunch <laughs> of inferior it. products. And you got yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the. Uh, the Masters is taking place this weekend. It's the it, usually this is the a great weekend in sports. If the calendar was normal, it would be the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? It's usually this week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the Masters, the weather for a lot of people. It's getting nicer. Uh, and the reason why I want to bring up the Masters here, obviously, Tiger Woods coming back to play uh, from really, I think, what can only be described as a catastrophic injury uh, sustained in a car accident. Um, I think at the time, a lot of us thought, man, this guy's never going to play golf again. So to see him come back and play and potentially play the Masters is one of the most remarkable stories and then of course because this is a hockey podcast i thought well how can we how can we spin this into a conversation here so i want to ask you this here if tiger woods coming back to play is the most you know one of the most miraculous returns from injury we've ever seen certainly in golf what's the most miraculous return from an injury in hockey history where we're like you see a guy you're like i don't think this guy's ever going to come back to play 
and he does. Like for me, the one I always think about is Eric Lindros. When Eric got hit that one time uh, in the neutral zone by Scott Stevens, and he's lying there and he's not moving, and you knew he had a concussion history, and even then our our knowledge of concussions wasn't quite where it is obviously today. But even then we were like, I don't know that this guy's ever going to be the same or come back. That's the one for me that always jumps out. Like, is there somebody that you're like, wow, I never thought he would play again. And then he suited up again in an NHL game. And not for, not for like he retired and came back like Lafleur or even to some extent Lemieux, but mm-hmm. like was just hurt so badly. You thought this guy's never coming back. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's a few and obviously, uh, you know, if we're limiting it to injury, that that takes a few guys because we've seen guys where it was uh, in illness, uh, um, off the ice stuff. Merrill Lemieux always being the, uh, I, I think, the gold standard in, twice in that 92-93 season where he's diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, at the time, there was some talk that it, it could be career-ending, but at the very least, you, he was done for the year. You knew that. And then he comes back. Uh, and not only comes back, but wins the scoring title. And then his later comeback from retirement was was also phenomenal. Uh, if Purely if we're talking in terms of injury, I, I, I think there's three. And it's three on, on different timelines. Um, the first is the shortest timeline, Paul Correa. The, the big hit in the Stanley Cup final where he gets laid out Ooh. by Scott Stevens and goes down. And yeah. again, similar to... Uh, Similar to the to the Lindros situation, you're going. That's boy, that's it for him. I mean, we we're we're not going to see him again in the series probably, and you just hope he's okay for next year. And then not only does he come back, but he comes back later in that game, scores the goal. Um, still to this day, one of those um, very strange, conflicting memories for a hockey fan. Where at the time you at the time we saw it, we thought it was the greatest thing ever, and now you look back and you go, man, how the hell was a guy who got hit like that allowed to come back into the game? just uh, just a few minutes later. So that would be one. Um, y- you can't have a conversation about hockey injuries without mentioning Clint Malarchuk. Uh, mm. Of course, yeah. the, the, one of the, one of, if not the most horrifying injuries ever. Um, if, if you've, if you've never seen it, don't go looking for it. It's, it's truly awful. Um, but he had his neck sliced. He was goaltender for the, for the Sabres has his neck sliced by a skate it comes extremely close to literally dying on the ice uh, from from blood loss. I mean, it, it this it, it was uh, uh, a, a literal life and death down to the seconds situation, uh, and and I think everyone remembers that injury or or knows about it if uh, if you weren't around at the time. What I think a lot of people don't remember is he came back and played like two weeks later. He got he into he came wow. back that season and he played one game and i think at the time it was sort of like from his perspective it, it was you know what could because once he was stitched up and everything it was it, you know it was it was an injury that he could play with but it was kind of like man do you want to go back out there and i think from his perspective it was a little bit like if i don't go back now i don't know that I, if i sit around all summer i might never go back so i've got to do it now and and uh, you know whether that was the right decision or not, but that that one to me is truly amazing. It was it was uh, I believe ten or eleven days after that horrific injury, he goes out and uh, um, wow. plays plays just a few minutes. I mean, I think he even came in just. I mean, they they basically let him just get onto the ice and and then that was it. But um, truly, truly an amazing uh, an amazing comeback. Uh, and then the the one that maybe is the closest to the Tiger Woods situation. 
in in the sense of a guy that you went, okay, he's he's done. That's it. We're not going to see him again. Not quite the same star level, but uh, Gary Roberts was a guy who, yeah, uh, for the Calgary Flames, played for a decade, was a great power forward, but about eight years into his career, he has he has a neck problem, and it's an, it's a degenerative neck issue. And at one point, he misses almost an entire season. Uh, he's, he's only in his late 20s, he's like 27, 28 years old at this point. He comes back, he plays half a season, he wins the Masterton, but the, it's just not getting any better. All the doctors have looked at it, and they basically tell him, Gary, you're, you're done. There's nothing that we can do for you. He announces his retirement, I think, at the age of 30. Uh, and, and he's just a classic case where you look at him and you go, well, that's, it's a career cut short. It's, it's tragic. Um, but he's, you know, he, he, he can't play anymore. His quality of life is what matters here. He sits out a year and then he comes back. And, and basically what happens is he finds some new treatments he, uh, and uh, some, some new options open up to him. Uh, he ends up coming back for, for what is expected to be like, you know, he's going to give it a shot kind of thing. Calgary trades him to Carolina, uh, not because they didn't want him, but because he, he went to them and said, I need to play in, on, for an Eastern team because I can't do the travel. I don't know, sitting on planes and everything with my neck and my back could cause problems for me. So he wanted to go someplace where the travel wouldn't be as much. Well, he ends up not just being able to stick around in the league. He actually plays longer after the injury than he did before. He played 10 years. He plays 11 more after the injury and becomes the poster child for fitness. And for, you know, to this day, I mean, that's anytime anyone on your team isn't good conditioning. What do you say? Right? Like, Send him to go see Gary Roberts. Uh, he's he's Mr. Kale Smoothies and and all of this stuff, and and that all sprung from that. The fact that this was a, a great player who was all sorts of fun to watch in Calgary, and we were all told it, his career is over. And then after a year, uh, he's he suddenly is able to not only come back, but come back and and play at the same or similar level. And for a very very long time, it was just a a completely amazing story. Yeah, it's funny, like, you know, in, in light, of, and we're going to talk about the Buffalo Sabres here in a second, but in light of the Jack Eichel stuff, and, you know, he had issues with his neck and all that, like, I was curious, I'm, it's interesting that nobody really wrote about Gary Roberts in around this time, right? Like a potentially career-altering neck injury and mm -hmm. came back and was, he was dominant. Hey, just ask yeah. an Ottawa Senators fan if Gary Roberts was dominant post That's uh, exactly post it. I mean, right? this, this yeah. is a guy where, I mean, th there's probably younger fans listening to this who didn't know any of that background. They're sitting there going, well, wait a second. Why, you know, Gary Roberts is the guy who played forever and he's the guy who was in, you know, great shape and the too much man and, and all of that stuff. And yeah, absolutely. But it, it, uh, for a while it looked like it was not going to happen because he was done. And, and, you know, you say it, the story even back then wasn't really covered as, as much as it probably should have been, because that that's just what the NHL was back then. If you were a power forward, Cam Neely at around the same time was having his career end. Wendell Clark was breaking down. Um, certainly a lot of the enforcers in that were going through through issues. That was just kind of what the NHL was back then. Eric Lindros, you mentioned, same same sort of thing. It was like, yeah, it's it's a meat grinder, and some of these guys, um, the, the careers end, end short. And we thought that was the case of Gary Roberts, and uh, to, to his credit, uh, stuck with it. Tried the comeback that that you know we at the time we thought, hey man, if he can if he can play one more year, that's going to be great. That'll be he'll go out on his terms. And instead, 
it was another decade and uh, another decade of, of uh, being an impact player. Um, I mentioned the Buffalo Sabres here, and we're at the point in the season where every day you wake up, a new team has been officially eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, you know, you're you're looking at those teams at the bottom and, you know, they're getting ticked off in the Arizona and, um, you know, Montreal. And uh, it was Buffalo's turn. And as a result, we've known this was going to be the case, but now we can say it officially. The Sabres will miss the Stanley Cup playoffs for a record 11th consecutive season. Sean, 11 straight years of missing the playoffs. A uh, couple of things here. First of all, Mike Harrington, who covers the Sabres for the Buffalo News, he points out <clears throat> that tomorrow, Friday, is the 4,000-day anniversary of Buffalo's last playoff game. So think about that. 4,000 days between playoff games for the Buffalo Sabres. That is, uh, that that kind of paints the picture. Um, I know you kind of, you touched on this, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, in a, and I think it was a recent mailbag, about what's the most like futile, depressing decade for a uh, an NHL team. And now the Sabres, I guess my question is, do Buffalo Sabres fans now having missed the playoffs in 11 consecutive seasons, can they lay claim to that? To Can they stake the claim to this is the worst decade of any uh, a, a, any NHL team has had to endure? They're up there for sure. The, the question in the mailbag wanted a specific decade. It wanted the 70s, the 80s, uh, and, uh, and a full decade. So it was a little bit different. The, the Sabres obviously... Um, are a little bit stretched over, but uh, yeah, they're 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 right up there. And um, look, it, missing the playoffs for a record eleven years, as we just said, making the playoffs is a lot tougher now. I mean, I I, I grew up watching the nineteen eighties Maple Leafs, who I, I would argue were the absolute worst team for for a decade. Uh, they still made the playoffs a few times because it was the Norris Division. You made the you could make the playoffs with fifty something points. Um, and that was the case uh, in uh, for most of the teams in the league. So I don't know that just the fact that they've got the record playoff drought necessarily moves them ahead of some other teams. But man, just in terms of the context around it, I, I can't I can't imagine. You know, the worst team. I don't know who the worst team is. I, I have a hard time imagining anything a worse decade for a fan base than than this one. I mean, there, we've seen bad teams come in as expansion teams, but back before Vegas, if you were an expansion team, you expect it to be bad. You were supposed to be bad. You, you know, buckle up. It's going to be a rough five or six years before this, this team can contend for anything. Um, the, the Buffalo Sabres, man, I mean, 2006 and 2007, they had an absolute Stanley Cup worthy team. I mean, that team did not win the cup, but they absolutely could have, but probably should have two trips to the conference final. Excellent team. Then 2007 comes around and free agency hits them and they get they get decimated by that. They lose Chris Drury. Uh, they lose Danny Breer. And for a couple of years, they miss the playoffs. They build it back up though. Uh, they, they get to the playoffs 2010 and 2011. They're, at this point, they're kind of doing it a little bit with duct tape. They got a little bit of a Montreal Expos thing going on, but they're a good team. And then, oh, look, here comes the new owner. Here comes Terry Pagula, and he's going to spend money, and we can go out in free agency and actually get some guys. And we have turned the page. And I think if you had gone to a Sabres fan then and said, you've, you've just seen the last playoff game for a decade, it would have been devastating because this, this was a team that thought they were going to be good and was supposed to be good and, and was not awful the first year or two of that, but obviously the free agent signings didn't work out. 
Uh, and then you just start churning through coaches, churning through GMs. There's a dysfunction in the front office and all of that. And, and they go into, they spend a couple of years doing a very obvious and blatant tank job, uh, hoping to get Connor McDavid, knowing that Jack Eichel is the, uh, is, is the plan B. And okay, you know what? Rebuilds happen. Now we got Jack Eichel. Now we got some other pieces and it just never clicks. And now to be going through a second full tear it down rebuild uh, in, uh, in, in the same set without even having a playoff to show for it. I don't know that there's any, any worse decade that a really, really good fan base has had to endure because um, I mean, it sure doesn't look like that streak's going to end anytime soon. Uh, they're, they're back to tear it down again. Man, it's uh, it's it's been miserable, and and to do it all, I mean, it's harder to make the playoffs these days than ever because of how many teams there are. But we're also in the era of parity. It's 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 also supposed to be harder to be awful right now. You know, everybody yeah is a seventy point team at least. I mean, with the loser point, you can at least uh, you know at least fake your way to that. And uh, for them to be as bad as they've been year after year after year. And and I know there's some optimism now. There's, you know, some fans will say, you know, it feels like maybe it's turning around. You and I well know from watching the Senators last year, the last 20 games of the season can mislead you sometimes when you're obviously uh, out of the running. But I hope so. I I hope, I hope Don Granato is building something. I hope they can turn this, turn this around because that, that man, that fan base deserves it. Yeah. It's a great fan base, very passionate, very intelligent. Um, I'm going to end with this. Let me ask you this question because you mentioned, imagine going back to a Buffalo fan in 2011, maybe during the Billy Lano press conference or something, yeah. whatever you go to them and yeah. you're like, you will not make the playoffs for the next 10 years. See you later. Now I'm thinking of a great, uh, maybe again, this is too weird of a column idea for you, but I've, you get to go not back a in concept time. I'm familiar with. Okay. okay yeah. You get to go back in time and visit all 32 fan bases for one brief, like, you, you get to deliver one 15-second warning message. Like, where do you go back to each fan base and tell them, ah, oh, uh, you know what I mean? Like, wouldn't that be fun? Like, to think, like, what, what's the one warning sign you wish just you to, knew? Yeah, wouldn't that just, be fun? Just to go back and wreck every fan yeah, base. Just, just uh, give them, no, yeah. you're not wrecking. You're giving them a heads up. Some Something bad's about to go down, and you don't realize it. You don't, you have no idea what's about yeah. to happen. I mean, I can definitely think of a few. Uh, the, <laughs> I think the... I think that again, you're trying to trick me into going in on my uh, my Maple Leafs, and that that would probably uh, I'd have to narrow that one down. Um, yeah, and then you'd get the the other teams. Uh, boy, uh, wouldn't you? <laughs> you imagine going to an Islanders fan '84? You've just lost the Stanley Cup to the Oilers. That's all right. We'll be back. That's our first playoff loss in 20 series. Uh, we're going to be okay. And you just sit yeah. them down and go. I got uh, I got some bad news about how the next four decades or so works out for you. Yeah, there are Yeah. There are definitely more than a few that would be uh it would be pretty rough. Time traveling. Time traveling with with down goes yeah. down. Imagine having to go back to a Pittsburgh Penguins fan in 83 <laughs> and go next year you're not going to have an all-time legendary top 5 player in the lineup for a whole season and then, you know, for the next four decades you will, so it'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. Always ends with bitterness towards the Penguins. All yep. right. Mm-hmm. Wings for the game, boom, cash back. New lucky jersey, boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. 
Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. Even a last minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. We'll get back to the podcast in a second, but first a word from our friends at Grammarly. And look, we are professional writers by trade, so we know that communication is the key. And maybe you're not a professional writer, but Grammarly can make you more confident in your writing and make you a little bit more efficient and help you work day to day at your job. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can have that bigger impact at your place of work. Think about this. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing. That's a pretty good stat. Grammarly works across 500,000 apps and websites. And by understanding your writing and your context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions, tailor-made for you. Their tone suggestions, they'll even help you navigate even through the most difficult conversations at work. You can save time with one click, go from editing drafts in hours to seconds. Talking about stats, 93% of professionals using Grammarly Premium report that it helps them get more work done. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, as always, on a Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, time to bring in our pal Jesse Granger for Granger Things, a segment brought to you by BetMGM. They are, of course, the exclusive betting partner with us at The Athletic. Jesse Granger, uh, for the last few weeks, we've been monitoring the Vegas Golden Knights. They've been such a compelling storyline, and we keep wondering, are they going to make the playoffs? Are they going to miss the playoffs? And I got to tell you, when I, I didn't stay up late, I'm on Eastern time, and wake up in the morning, and I go to the first thing I do, I check the scores. I'm like, whoa, 5-1, uh, beat down. Uh, how are people feeling there about Vegas's chances of making the Stanley Cup playoffs after what can I think can only be categorized as probably an embarrassing and, and, and crushing loss to Vancouver? Yeah, um, I would say people are feeling not great. Um, <laughs> the, the, the Golden Knights Twitter fans uh, last night were pretty uh, doom and gloom uh, thinking that that was kind of it. Obviously, they still have 10 games left, but they're probably going to have to win eight or maybe at least seven, maybe eight of those last 10 um, with and 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 you're going to need some help from Dallas, Nashville, Edmonton, L.A. One of those teams is going to have to collapse. But in terms of last night's game, I mean, they just got Pete DeBoer. Basically, I asked him a couple specifics like 
they struggled on breakouts and, and, and he's like not having it. He's like, we struggled at everything. We struggled. Yes, we struggled at breakouts, but we struggled at 10 other things. We were awful. They were better than us. I, Jack Eichel, I thought had a good mentality. He was basically saying like, look, we won five games in a row prior to this. We knew we weren't going to go undefeated. Like, yes, this was a game we should have won, but we still have 10 games left that we weren't going to win them all. Um, they're basically, uh, Braden McNabb said, we're in the playoffs now. When you, we, he, we, this team has been in the playoffs four years in a row. He's like, when you lose a game in the playoffs, you can't think about it. You got to just go on to the next game. That's kind of where they're at. It's going to be tough. Um, I think their chances are not great. And I don't think it's even really because of that loss. Like, they, like I said, they won five in a row prior to that. But the teams around them are not losing. Um, the Golden Knights have like they, they won five games in a row and made up basically no ground because Edmonton and L.A. and Nashville and Dallas just seem to win every night. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really, really tough for this team to make the playoffs. At this point, it seems highly unlikely. Yeah, and it's uh, you, you, you nailed it, right? It's five wins in a row. You, you, you think you should be gaining ground. And, and when you looked at the schedule after they beat Nashville, and they had that really impressive guy, the 6-1, I think, was the, the yeah. final you looked ahead at the schedule and it was all bad teams, um, you know, and uh, Chicago, Seattle, Vancouver is, you know, maybe been, been better lately, but Arizona's on there coming up. You're thinking this is their time to make hay. And they did, uh, you know, you, if you'd gone back to and said, would you take five wins in your next six, you'd take it. But that's the thing in the NHL these days, it's so much harder to gain ground. The NHL loves to talk about the close playoff races we got to have the close, that's, that's what our standings do. They make the playoff races closer. And how many teams and how many fan bases are used to being three or four or five points back? And then you go on a hot streak and then you look at the standings, you go, we didn't gain anything. And, uh, I look ahead at, at, uh, at the Vegas schedule, the rest of the way. And what really jumps out at me is they've got, they're in Dallas, uh, at the end of April. That's pretty much it as far as the teams are chasing. No games left against the Kings. No games left against Nashville. Um, they, they've they've got Edmonton, I guess, if you still consider that a, a chase. But there's they're going to be looking at the scoreboard, uh, and uh, I, I think of all the teams now at this point, I'm I'm probably thinking LA is the team that they have the best chance to catch. They got to gain two games on them. Um, I think Nashville. If you look at but, Nashville, their schedule is. Brutal. Um, okay. Predators. I think starting next week, the Predators play. They play the Flames twice. They play the Lightning, the Avalanche, and the Wild all like six games in a row. Um, so talking six games against contenders. Um, who knows what the motivations will be for those contenders? Yeah, Some of them are locked in the playoff year, spots. Right? Yeah. yeah. So so maybe that schedule's not as tough as it looks. But when I look at the LA and, and Vegas both have pretty easy schedules down the stretch. And the way I'm looking mm-hmm. at it, especially after last night's loss is the Golden Knights can't really win their way into the playoffs. They're one of these teams that they're chasing. They're going to need them to go four and eight or something down the stretch. Like they need one of these teams in front of them to collapse. So I think while Nashville has been playing good hockey and I think Nashville actually might be the best, the better of all those four teams, their schedule to me gives the best opportunity for, for maybe Vegas to, to claw their way back. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the Kings and they've got Oilers wild and avalanche through their next four. If, if it's not then, because then if they finish off against a bunch of teams that aren't in the playoffs, and right. the, the, the reason the Kings jump out at me is because it's one of the only teams that they've, the, the Knights play the same number of games as 
Because you you look at that points column as a Knights fan and you think, oh, we got a shot at this. And then you look at the games played and you go, Nashville's got three games in hand on us. And, right. You know, with, with three weeks left in the season, how is that even possible? It's, uh, man, it's it's a rough one. Yeah. And listen, that Western Conference race to me, it's compelling because there's four or five teams that are in it, right? L.A., Nashville, Dallas, Vegas, Vancouver. Um, that's, that's what we love. At this time of year, we love races that involve uh, multiple teams. And I think as we flip the conversation over to uh, individual awards, I think that same theory holds true. When four or five people are involved in a legitimate debate for one award, it makes it really interesting. And that takes us right to the Calder Trophy for Rookie of the Year, Jesse. And would love to sit here and chat with you with, with a few weeks left in the season and talk about, um, like, where's some smart money? Uh, where, 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 is, is there some smart money to be had here on some of these candidates? Because I feel like this is a flip of the coin. You talk to 10 different people, it feels like you get four or five different answers of who, who should get the Calder Trophy. So walk us through the odds here with uh, with three weeks left in the regular season. Yeah, it's it's a fascinatingly close race. And and I, I, to be honest, I was a little surprised when I looked at the odds. Um, and that's kind of what prompted this conversation is, I like, I personally love Mo Sider. I love his game. I love watching him play. If I were to start a franchise today and I was going to pick one of these rookies, I think I would pick Mo Sider. But I honestly expected like that to be kind of in the minority. And I go to BetMGM odds and Mo Sider is the favorite right now to win Calder, the, the Calder Trophy. He's uh, minus 200 right now. Lucas Raymond, his teammate, is plus 450. He's the second uh, best odds. Trevor Zegris, who I expected would be would be the favorite. And, and by the way, like the midway point in the season, Trevor Zegris was the runaway favorite. Um, obviously, around the All-Star game, he had a lot of hype around him. I mean, he was he was minus a big number at, at one point. But now you can get 5-1 to one odds on Trevor Zegers to win Rookie of the Year. Michael Bunting, who leads all rookies in points. I know he's like 30 years old, but um, <laughs> he, he does lead all rookies in points, and he's 8-1. to one. And then a guy who's interesting to me, who you can get at 20-1 to one right now, Tanner Janot is... Like you can make an argument for Tanner Janot. I mean, he leads all rookies in goals. I think he's got twenty three goals now. He he's all over the ice. He's kind of that Brad Marchand under the other team's skin type of guy. Um, and and twenty to one on on a player that has a at least an argument for a trophy this late in the season. You just don't. You you never see a number like twenty to one on a player this late in the season. Um, and, and then there's another, uh, Jeremy Swayman is, is also 20 to one in there. I, I don't, he wouldn't be a guy that I'd particularly lean to. What do you think of Sean? That was the name I was waiting to hear huh? because I feel like at some point, and maybe it's because he, he played a decent chunk of, of last year. Maybe people don't really realize that he's, he's got the eligibility still at some point, this guy has kind of taken over as the starting goaltender for a very good Boston Bruins team that has been very hot down the stretch. You look at his numbers He's he's put up very good numbers. He's he's hovering around 920 save percentage. Um this this is a guy I feel like, you know, we're we're running out of runway for for the light bulb to go off on on a lot of people as far as the buzz here. Um I'd have him number 2 on my ballot right now. Uh behind behind Cider and or maybe you know right there with with Zegers would be the other one that would be tough, but um you know, we talk about goalies not getting in much love for Hart Trophy. They they tend to get, uh, you know, at some point, I feel like voters are going to sit down and go, okay, who's the best rookie goalie? And they're going to look and they're going to go, wait a second, this this isn't 
This isn't some rookie who's played 20 games and had good numbers. This guy's taken over as the starter for a Stanley Cup contender, and he's playing great. Um, 20 to 1, I would I would jump on that just in case he gets red hot down the stretch and uh, um, starts really getting some attention. And to me, too, another name that's not there, and this is more of a function of uh, he struggled under his initial coach this season, would be Cole Caulfield. Like, if you look at Cole Caulfield under Marty St. Louis, I mean, you can only think, man, if this guy had that all year, right? What are his are, – is he even on the on the board here? Yeah, so Cole Caulfield has the ninth best odds. Um, he's behind those six that I mentioned, Matt Boldy and Anton Lindell. Cole Caulfield, you can get 80 to one at the moment. So if you think there's even a sliver of a chance and like and so so I mentioned he's ninth. Eighth is Anton Lindell. He's 35 to one. So the jump from eighth, 35 to one to Cole Caulfield is 80 to one. Um, He's got the same odds as Alex Newhook and Alex Nedeljkovic. It's funny, uh, Sean, you mentioned people might not realize. Alex Nedeljkovic is just going to be up for Calder for every year for the rest of his life. I was hoping so much that he would would get that. You'd be a finalist again and just people would lose their minds. But yeah, boy, Cole Caulfield at those numbers. Yeah. To to me, I think it's interesting that Mo Sider is minus 200. Um, mm-hmm. that big of a favorite considering he doesn't put up the the numbers that the other guy like when you watch a Red Wings game it's pretty clear that that kid is really good and he's oh, out yeah. there laying hits he's got so much skill but I don't know when I look at the numbers um, like I was reading Dom LeCision's story the other day about like kind of breaking down um, just from an analytics standpoint and cider is like eighth on his um, just on the on the models rankings of the of the rookies. So I was wow. I was surprised to see cider be that big of a favorite, although he he probably is at the top of my ballot also right now. Yeah, there there does. You know, when you, you think about the the buzz or whatever you, you want to call it, he, he that is the name that really seems to be standing out right now. But I don't know, man. I don't feel like it's over. Uh, that there's definitely some opportunity there where, I mean, look, I, I think Cider probably wins, but at this point you're not throwing, I mean, you're not dropping your, your 20 bucks or 50 or whatever you want to put down so that you could win 10 right. on some guy. You, you want the long shot and you know, Cole Caulfield, like he probably has run out of runway. Um, but both him and Swayman, I mean, if I want you want to drop five bucks and, uh, you know, maybe have it turned into something that's, that's more what I'm looking at. Uh, to for guys yeah, like for, that. Me, for me, Tanner Janot at twenty yeah. to one. I mean, he's got twenty three twenty three goals, and like sometimes it takes a number like that, and and say he scores seven over the last eleven games or whatever, or thirteen games, whatever Nashville has left. If he hits thirty goals, suddenly like that to me that like changes the the discussion. Everyone's mm-hmm. you're, you're going to hear people saying this this rookie's got thirty goals. You've got to give it to him, even though he he hasn't. He's kind of been the dark horse. Like you've never really heard Janot's name mentioned with yeah. the Ciders and the Zegrises, but twenty three goals. And and he's on a team that's that's like it's not like he's on some bad team where he's getting top line minutes uh, just because they're they're out of it. Like the the Predators are making a playoff run, and he's he's been yeah. a big part of that. And and let's be honest, like the writers who vote on this stuff, they put a lot of thought into it. But for the Calder, I think a lot of a lot of them probably get to the end of the season and then sit down and go, okay, let's look at these numbers. And you're right, they maybe get surprised. I didn't know this guy had thirty goals. I didn't know this guy. Uh, with played this many games as a goalie, and then then suddenly things shift yeah, around. Yeah, and I agree with you. As we wrap up, I think you know Janot playing on a team, and he's playing a big role. They could make the playoffs. You know, Zegris and Anaheim, they're not going to make the playoffs. Detroit's not going to make the playoffs. Cole Caulfield, like some of these guys are, they're playing 
games that don't necessarily impact. So if if Jano can get five or six goals in the last three weeks of the season and they're meaningful goals, and imagine he scores the goal to yeah. put Nashville into the playoffs or whatever it is, like there's something to be said for an end of season kind of look back and 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 maybe we're having a different conversation uh, in a couple of weeks. But hey, Jesse, as always, this was uh, a fun visit and, and and hopefully an informative one for anybody looking to lay down some money on on the Calder Trophy. Uh, thanks for this, and uh, we'll hit you up again next uh, next Thursday. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Jesse. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right. As always, uh, terrific to have uh, Jesse Granger there for uh, for Granger Things. Uh, I want to open up the mailbag here. We got some great uh, emails. You can email us, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. Um, you can also leave us a voicemail, by the way, 845-445-8459. All right. We talked, um, uh, we talked rules court last week and we did a fun column. Uh, you, me, Shanja and Tilly, we took your ideas, uh, as listeners and, uh, and subscribers to the athletic. You gave us, uh, sometimes off the wall, weird, wacky, fun ideas to improve the game. We put it to a court and we, we, we came up with a vote. Uh, Justin has a follow-up here with a uh, proposal that we can maybe make a quick ruling on here on the spot. Justin says in regards to your rules court uh, column, I think we all know that the NHL standings and how points are awarded is in need of an overhaul. Many have proposed the 3-2-1 format similar to soccer, and uh, that would end the play for overtime mentality, i.e. you get three points for a regulation time win, two for an overtime win. Uh, So... Justin is saying, what if the NHL went one step further, though, and borrowed another mainstay from soccer tables? And that is goal differential. That means, in this case, goal differential wouldn't just be used as a tiebreaker. It would actually be what determines the standings. Now, before you scoff at me, think about how much excitement this would add. Playoff races that so often resemble a long slog of attrition, i.e. this year's Eastern Conference, would suddenly be up for grabs. 
because one of the two big games could swing a team's fortunes drastically. Imagine the Pittsburgh Penguins having beat Detroit 11-2, all of a sudden gained plus nine in the standings. Now that would put real pressure on the Hurricanes, the first place in the Metro, or the Caps losing 8-1 to to Carolina, all of a sudden allows somebody else to sneak into the mix. What do we think about this? You know what? I, I respect the creativity. I'm always... Uh... I feel like as hockey fans, we're not creative enough as as far as what we are looking for in terms of rule changes and that sort of thing. So I I respect the the uh, the spirit here. This wouldn't work, um, and it, it you know it, there maybe is some way to factor in goal differential as uh, or even goals for as as either a tiebreaker or, you know, somehow factor them more into the standings. The problem with this, though, would be, and, you know, he, he Justin basically nails it, um, you know, imagine the Pittsburgh Penguins beat the Red Wings 11-2 to and gain nine goals. Yeah, that's great if you're a Penguins fan. What if you're the team that they pass? Imagine how furious you would be watching yeah. that game as the Red Wings, who have nothing to play for, go through the motions and get smoked 11-2. to Imagine, you know, flipping on a game and realizing, you know, it's bad enough when you need a team to lose and you find out that they're going up against a backup goalie or that the, you know, some team star player has been scratched. Uh, imagine watching that, that goalie get pumped for eight goals and uh, you know, you're screaming at your TV. It, it would be, it would be all sorts of fun on the, in the, the times that it worked. Um, something like that Leafs Panthers game. Imagine the Leafs being up five, one thinking we're going to gain all this <laughs> ground. And then the Panthers, each goal, they each goal they come back. You're going, that's you know, man, that's that's two that we just lost in the standings. Um, there, it, it, there definitely would be an element of fun here. But I'm I'm with Justin in the first half. Go to three, two, one, zero. I've got uh, a piece coming next week on on the loser point uh, that uh, you know hopefully uh, people will will check out. But I'm I'm well and uh, uh, officially on the record on this. I I hate the way the standings work now. I agree with Justin that the teams are encouraged to play boring hockey to try to get to overtime. It stinks. Um, we need to fix it. Three, two, one uh, standings would fix it. I'm on board with those. Um, but the goal differential, uh, nobody loves high scoring hockey more than me. But even even for me, this is a this is a okay. If you like high scoring hockey, then I think you liked uh, of what you've seen so far from defensemen. This year, we're seeing some, you know, potentially two defensemen could crack the century mark in points in Roman Yossi and Kel McCarr. So that leads us to Chris's question into the mailbag. Chris says, with the incredible seasons we're seeing from Yossi, McCarr, Hedman, Ekblad, Fox, and McAvoy, um, is this the best season for NHL defensemen in league history? I'm looking for a more qualitative answer from you guys, rather than one concerned only with statistical totals. So maybe we're thinking about a season, though, in the 80s or the 90s. And as a follow-up, why do you think we're seeing so many talented game-breaking D-men in the sport. You even look at Moritz Sider, Jamie Drysdale, Quinn Hughes, Jake Sanderson, Owen Power, and it seems like we're getting a ton of great young defensemen that comes in from Chris. Yeah, so uh, second half of the question first. Uh, yeah, we we do seem to be going through an era with with some real great young defensemen, and especially the ones in the league. I mean, I'm, I'm going to hold off on putting Jake Sanderson or, or even Owen Power in that category until we've actually seen them. But yeah, it's it, and this happens uh, sometimes certain positions just it, it feels like uh, uh, there's a flood of great young can't miss guys. And then some of them always do miss and, and some of them don't. And uh, it, it's it's kind of tough. You, you end up looking back with with the 
historical perspective and the hindsight and and can maybe write things a little better, which makes it a bit tough now to sit there and say, you know, is this is what we're seeing from from some of the guys Chris mentions? Is this one of the greatest seasons ever for defensemen? Uh, you know, it's hard to say because uh, we don't know, especially with Kale McCarr, especially with Adam Fox, Charlie McAvoy to an extent. They're they're not anywhere close to finished products. We don't know what their legacy is going to look like. Uh, it's it's a little bit hard to say. I, I will give you um, one season in particular, and it's from that mix in the in the eighties and nineties where it was. Um, you know, we we really did have some all time defensemen at the height of their powers at the same time. They're Ray Bork, Chris Chelios, um, Paul Coffey were kind of always in the Norris uh, talk for about a good decade there. But I'm going to give you the 93-94 season. Yeah. Okay. There were 10 guys who showed up on, on Norris Trophy ballots that year. I'm going to read you the 10 names. Okay. Uh, Ray Bork won. Uh, Scott Stevens and Al McInnes were finalists. Sergey Zubov, Brian Leach, Chris Chelios, Paul Coffey, Nicholas Lidstrom, Larry Murphy, and then uh, Sandus Ozelinch had one third-place vote. That was 10 names I just gave you. Nine of those guys, Hall of Famers, and then Sandus Ozelinch. So one guy showed up on the third, one third-place vote. Every other name on every other ballot it's that year. Famer was a future hall of famer and and you know in in most of these cases other than maybe zubov no doubt about it hall of famers i mean first ballot obvious guys uh i don't know that we'll ever see something quite like that again um where basically the entire norris conversation was just guys that that were total legends and you know what like zubov people forget like for Zubov, like he led the rangers in scoring in the regular season in the year that they won the stanley cup right like that that's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Like he, he 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 was and and this was uh he was 23 years old, 89 points uh as a defenseman and you know even in that era with the scoring was higher. Uh I mean that was that was pretty phenomenal and uh it probably you're right. I mean that that's you ask anyone who led the 94 Rangers in scoring, well, it's obviously Mark Messier. No, it was the uh 23-year-old rookie okay. defenseman. Um one other one here real quick from Greg and we talked about I think it was in the mailbag last week where somebody said, hey, what happens if a team wins the Stanley Cup without a captain? Uh, who does the trophy go to? And Greg's like, hey, FYI, guys, the 1970 and 72 Boston Bruins did not have a captain. It was Johnny Busick presented with the Stanley Cup, uh, but it was actually, he was one of three alternate captains with uh, Esposito and Westfall. P.S. I'd like some more trivia shows, please, that comes from Greg. So hold on here. And I, I'm pretty good with hockey history. <clears throat> you're telling me when the Boston Bruins won the cup in 70 and 72, Bobby Orr wasn't so much as an alternate captain. That surprises me. Yeah. Um, I, I guess so. I mean, Esposito and, and Johnny Busick, obviously yeah. Esposito was the superstar. Johnny Busick uh, already established as a legend there. And Eddie Westfall was a, a good uh, uh, veteran piece of those Bruins teams. I am a little bit surprised, but you know, these, these young guys, these, Glory boys like uh, Bobby or, you know, I don't know. Let him prove himself a little bit, I'm sure, is, was probably the thinking. But, yeah, that is that is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, I will I will admit that. All right. On to this week in hockey history where we wrap up the show. And uh, I'll tell you what, why don't we start right back in that same era in the 70s. So I did not know this name. You tell me if you knew this and you knew this fact. April 7th, 1974, Sean, Pittsburgh Penguins goaltender Andy Brown 
became the last goalie to play an NHL game without a mask. Um, I didn't know that. Like, obviously, we know about Jacques Plante, and he's the first guy to wear a mask. I didn't know the last guy who went it without a mask. Like, did did you know anything about Andy Brown? Nope. I, uh, I the the name was kind of vaguely familiar to me when I I saw it in that context, but no, I I didn't know that. And it's it's interesting, given that I think a lot of fans, if you ask them who was the last guy to play without a helmet, know right. that one. And they know that it's Craig McTavish and, uh, you know, who, who was never a superstar, but was, you know, a recognizable player. Um, it is a little bit maybe surprising that we don't know uh, the name of the last goalie to play without a mask. I will tell you, it feels very surprising to me that it's as late as 1974. Right. I mean, you would think you would think Jacques Plante comes in and wears it. And after the the initial controversy blows over, you think it wouldn't take long before every single goalie in the league was going. Yeah, um, I'll do that, too, please. Um, to, to make it to 1974, I, I really wonder what, what that conversation with the equipment yeah. guy was like, where he's like, you know, that's Andy, give it a try. Uh, I think, uh, a lot of these guys are shooting the puck really, really hard. I, this Andy Brown has got to be in the conversation. Like if you did a power ranking of the most stubborn people in sports history, how's this guy not at the yep. top of the list? Like, dude, everybody else is wearing a mask to protect themselves. What are you doing here? Yeah, like what's the argument? What's the argument against at this point? Um, and and by the way, I'm just I'm looking it up. He he was the last player in the NHL, last goalie in the NHL not to wear a mask. 1974 was his last season in the NHL. Then he goes to the WHA for three more years and does not wear a mask in the WHA. So this guy's going into the late 70s um, and uh, and playing without a mask. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, he's his nickname was Fearless. Uh, I, I'm guessing there maybe had a few other nicknames for him behind his back, but that's uh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to say anything else about Andy Brown because even at uh, he's apparently 78 years old. I'm guessing if he could take a slap shot to the to the face, I don't think I want him showing up at my door uh, upset over something I said in yeah. the podcast because. Uh, that's a that's a special no, kind. You, of you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reach out to him and tell him that your Twitter handle is actually mocking him. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to know why he's called yeah. Down Goes Brown? It's because of you. Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah. Well, that would uh, he'd, he'd probably be he'd be insulted that you were suggesting that as a goalie he ever dropped to the ice that's back right. in that era. That was that was the era of the stand up goaltender. So yeah, that's that would get me in trouble in more ways than one. Okay, one other kind of weird goalie factoid that I didn't know and again I'll ask you if you knew this. This week in hockey history, April the 4th, 2003, Mark Denis, then of the Columbus Blue Jackets, sets the NHL record for minutes played in a season by a goalie. Now, a couple of years later that mark would be surpassed by Marty Brodeur, but there was like a 3-year window that Mark Denis held the record for most minutes played ever in a season by a goalie. I don't think I knew this. Like maybe it was somewhere in the back of my brain. I have no recollection of Mark Denis setting the all-time record for minutes played. Did you? Did you know nope. this? Okay. No, I did not. This one I did not even have a flickering of recollection on this one and I may be a little bit surprised if I'm I'm supposed to be the obscure uh history and and trivia guy. Um, but, but not only was I surprised to see that my first reaction was that can't be right. Uh, and I went and, and looked and, and sure enough, it was my, uh, you know, obviously when you're talking about minutes played, 
that connects very strongly to games played. And uh, in the era back when there were even even when there were no backups, when the game the seasons were only fifty or sixty or seventy games long, the, those goalies, even if they played every second, weren't going to get to the the same total that somebody could get uh, in the eighty game era. But I was pretty shocked. I did not remember Mark Denis playing seventy seven games. For the 2000-2003 Columbus Blue Jackets, that, that's just a ridiculously high total. The guy that I would have bet everything I owned held the record would have been Grant Fear, right? From that insane 1996 uh, St. Louis Blues team under Mike Keenan, where Mike Keenan just decided in in the midnight, and we're talking 25 years into the backup goalie era, he goes, "Yeah, I'm going to just start the same goalie every single game of the season." I am never going to start my backup. I mean, these days you can't start your your one goalie every game of a week uh, without being told that you're tiring him out. Mike Keenan started Grant Fuhrer every single game, back to backs, everything else, um, until the, the very the last couple of weeks of the season. He finally got hurt and he missed a couple of games. And, and Grant Fuhrer ended up playing 79 games, but finished uh, a little bit. By in fact, not even. Over a hundred minutes back of Mark Denis, so I guess Grant Fuhrer, that's that's the Mike Keenan effect right there, right? Yeah. The, the hook, Captain Hook. <laughs> yeah. Even when he's starting you every single game, you you still you you get off to a rough start and he pulls you. Um, that's pretty shocking to me that uh, that that uh, Mark Denis held that record at all. Uh, and I'm looking at that Blue Jacket season. That it was Dave King and Doug McLean uh, splitting time as coaches. So even in a season where uh, they they clearly uh, it wasn't it wasn't a great year when you're making a coaching change. Uh, Jean Francois Labbe was the backup goalie, so that might be your explanation right there um, as to uh, as to what was going on. Not a lot of goaltending depth, but uh, no, not uh, not a record that that I knew. And man, if you if you'd hit me with that on one of the trivia challenges, it, it, we would have set a record for the longest episode because it would have been a long long time before. I said Mark Denis' name. Yeah. So, okay. I'm good. I'm glad to know I wasn't alone because I had no recollection of it. I was like, I had to fact check it myself. Now I'm thinking, I'm laughing because you said, you know, Grant Fuhrer played in 79 games with the Blues, but he was, you know, the Captain Hook. Imagine we looked it up and like, damn, John Casey played 55 games as well. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to look it up right look now up because now. that's... That is absolutely the uh, yeah John okay. Casey. Let let's put the over under without looking, or do you already have it up there? Okay, I, I've I've got it here actually, and and yeah, how many games do you think were played by other all goal- the other Blues goalies? So, okay, now keep in mind it's an eighty-two game season, so and Grant Fear plays seventy nine. So in, games in theory. There's three other games that goalies yeah. could have played, but three other mean- game minimum is is your is your floor. Okay, I'm gonna say sixteen. It's it's higher. It's John Casey, Pat Jablonski, and Bruce Racine combined to play twenty games. Uh, with Racine actually being the leader uh, in that in that group, Pat Jablonski played one game for eight minutes. John Casey played nine games for a total of three hundred ninety five minutes. And Bruce Racine, this has got to be one of the most remarkable stat lines ever. Played eleven games. Uh, had no wins, three losses, no ties, and played 230 minutes. So in almost 11 games. exactly in 11 games. So basically, a period 
20 minutes per game. Yeah, period per game. And that was, uh, and and I don't believe he would have started even one of those. Now I'm going to look up his, and by the way, uh, Bruce Racine, if people don't know, that was his only season in the NHL. So he, I did know this, he, he I believe, holds the record for uh, most career NHL games without ever having a start. Um, because he, yeah, they, the St. Louis Blues lost every game that he played in. Not surprisingly, I guess, given that uh, he's he's going in when when they're getting pulled, and uh, he in in several of those had single digit uh, saves, ranged from a uh, two minute and fifty seven uh, minute performance, and then he had one game that he lasted fifty six minutes. The other ones were all two periods or less. So he didn't so, like so much. Fear must have got hurt then, or somebody got hurt. That must have been an injury because it was a two-one game. So I'm thinking Grant Fear must have gotten bounced out uh, with an injury there. That's not. You know, you should think about doing an obscure rule uh, record column where you know obscure rule uh, um, records held by different guys. You yeah, uh, you know what? I've I've done it a few times, and I did one even on goalies, and uh, I didn't have the the Bruce yeah. scene in there. But I feel like somebody flagged it to me, and they're like, there "How you about go. this most career games by a guy who never got a start?" Uh, and then, of course, they go to John Casey, and and you know, if people remember the way that season ends, is if you're they go into the playoffs, uh, Nick Kiprios tragically um, <laughs> gets uh, gets pushed onto. Or in the general vicinity of Grant Fuhrer, he lands on his leg, uh, blows out his knee, and John Casey is the guy who has to come in for the playoffs and is the goalie for that famous Steve Eiserman overtime winner uh, that that ended the Blues season. Um, definitely one of the all-time strangest teams start to finish. Man, I would read a book just on those 95-96 Blues. Yeah, you know, crazy, crazy with Shane Corson and the Brett Hull and all the stuff going on there. Gretzky, yeah, it's a... Fascinating theme. All right, we'll leave it there. This was, a, once again, a fun hour that they just absolutely flew by. Um, Want to thank everybody for listening to the Athletic Hockey Show, Thursday edition. Um, you can always email your questions to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail, 845-445-8459. If you're not a subscriber with us, you, we got a really good deal going on right now. Annual subscription, it's a dollar a month for the first six months. And you can also subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. You'll get, uh, we talk about our, our fun trivia um, uh, competitions that we have. We, we put that out on Apple, uh, on the bonus content. You can access that uh, starting with a 30-day free trial. Uh, 30-day free, free trial. I can speak. 30-day free trial. There we go. And you then it. it's just 99 cents a month after that. Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.